for that. Continue to keep this man in prayer. Um, he is still feeling the effects of COVID. Um, his lungs have been really um, hit by it, and he's on a steroid, and that's why Paula was doing most of the leading this morning. Um, he can't sing right now, and he, he really wears out. And um, like yesterday at practice, Paula was like, he was here too long, and he was just exhausted. So we need to continue to keep him and his family in prayer. Um, you know, I'm telling you, the enemy just wants to just keep hitting. And uh, so we're, you know, we're, we're going to keep believing that God is, you know, as I said last week, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And so um, we're going to keep just keep praying. And, and I just thank you, worship team, for some good music this morning. Thank you so much for just ushering us into the presence of God. And so, hey, do me a favor, though. Uh, open your Bibles to Isaiah 43 today. If you're not sure where the book of Isaiah is, here's what you can do, unless you have a Bible app. But for all those of you who have a real Bible, um, just take it and pretty much split it in half, and you will almost land at Isaiah 43. And so um, we're going to be in Isaiah 43, and we are continuing our series, Hope That Heals. And today we're looking at how hope heals um, knowing God is for us. And this, I believe, is going to be such an, a, a freeing message for some of you. And so before I dive into today's message, I have to do a quick recap of last week's message. And I would encourage you, if you were not here with us last week or online and you didn't listen to last week's message, I would encourage you, um, go to the podcast, go to our website, listen to last week's message. You see, because last week's message is going to have, a, it'll play into this week's message because last week we talked about um, how hope heals by being victorious in the fight. And the fight that I referred to is a spiritual fight. Uh, that you and I are in a spiritual battle, that you are engaged in a fight with a very real spiritual enemy. And as scripture reveals to us, that, um, that, that spiritual enemy is Satan and um, every demonic force in the spiritual realm. And, and they are waging war against you, all right? And you're in a fight. And the reality is, Satan has one mission, all right, for your life. He has one mission, one purpose, and it's this. He wants to keep you spiritually blind. He, he wants to keep you um, spiritually ignorant. He wants to keep you spiritually lethargic. He, he wants to keep you spiritually, like, paralyzed he wants to keep you spiritually filled with spiritual apathy, all right? He wants to just keep you neutral spiritually. You see, what he does not want to see is you um, growing closer to Christ. He does not want to see you becoming more like Christ. He doesn't want to see you walking with Christ. He doesn't want to see you witnessing for Christ. He doesn't want to see you serving Christ. He wants to make sure your life has no spiritual impact whatsoever. And he will use every tactic, every scheme, every weapon in his arsenal to do it. He will distort the truth of God's word. He will lie to you. He will deceive you. He will tempt you. He will oppress you. He will come against you in every way possible to make sure his mission is fulfilled in your life. And the sad reality is he's winning. He is fulfilling his mission in a lot of believers' lives today. And we have got to understand that we have victory over that in Christ and in his word. And we have that hope of knowing that. And so last week's message is going to blend right into this week's message. Because as I said, this week's message is the reality of knowing we have hope that heals because God is for us. Guess what the enemy wants to convince you? No, he's not. He is anything but for you. 
And so you've got to know your enemy. You've got to know the tactics. You've got to know the weapons. You've got to know he's coming against you. Because I tell you, so many Christians are paralyzed with this message. Too many Christians are in bondage and not realizing that God is for you. And I pray today that you will be set free from that. And so let's, let me read our text. The first three verses there in chapter 43. It says, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So we're going to look at four things from those three verses today. And here's the first thing um, about God being for you is this. God is for me even when I fail. God is for me even when I fail. Now, before we dive into this, let's get some context of, of what's happening here in chapter 43. Chapter 43 is connected to chapter 42, all right? So when you get through chapter 42, it blends right into chapter 43. And, and the connection is really um, one that we wouldn't think. Because when you read chapter 42 and you come to the last um, like seven, eight, nine verses, what you're going to read about is how Israel came to the place where they're like, you know what, we're tired of obeying God. We're, we're going to walk our way. We're going to do our thing. They, they, they were in another state of rebellion against God. They were, they were following the, the ways of the other nations. They were not living for God. They were sinning. They were failing God miserably. Okay, That's what's going on. And so you have that at the end of chapter 42. And one would think... You see, because this is really a, a, a repetitive theme with Israel. Ever since they got released out of Egypt, um, Israel goes through this one theme. It's like they're on, they're on, on a merry-go-round, and it's kind of like this. We walk with God, we're going to disobey God. We walk with God, we're going to disobey God. And that's just kind of the theme with Israel. Now, you would think God would finally get to the place where he's like, I am done with you guys. I mean, how many, how many times do we have to play this thing? You know, I'm, I'm tired of playing the tennis match with you, with you. You sin, I forgive you, let's do it again. You sin, I forgive you, let's do it again. I'm tired of it. So you know what? I'm abandoning you guys. I'm going to walk away from you guys. You guys, I'm just going to leave you into your own stuff. If you're destroyed, you're destroyed. I don't care. I'm through. God doesn't do that. Because that's where now we look at chapter 43. He says, but now, everybody say, but now. but now, but now, those two little words carry a lot of impact because what God is saying with those two words, but now he's saying, Hey, you know what? Um, I see you in your sin. I see you in your failing. I see you in your rebellion, but now. God's turning the table once again. He's showing himself to be faithful to Israel despite their faithful unfaithfulness. He's showing Israel, I'm not walking away from you even though you've walked away from me. He's about to show Israel, listen, listen, listen. You, you can walk away and you can sin and you can rebel, but I'm not walking away from you. He's revealing to them, I still care for you. I still love you, and I am for you. You see, this is the amazing thing about this whole scenario here. And in fact, if you even look when it says, but now thus says the Lord. Do you notice how the word Lord is spelled? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. All four letters in capital. What that is revealing is the personal name of God which is Yahweh, all right? God is revealing himself. He's revealing his character to Israel. He's revealing himself to Israel in a personal way. He's revealing to Israel, I have a relationship with you, and I'm not breaking it. You are mine, and I'm not going anywhere. 
All right, so what this is revealing to us is that despite Israel's sin, despite their rebellion, despite their failing, God's goodness is triumphing over bad, uh, men's badness. And this is something we see time and time again with Israel and God. All right. If um, I would encourage you this week, go and read Psalm 106. And you see this. You see the, the ping pong match between God and Israel. Israel sins. God forgives. Israel sins. God forgives. And, and, and you see this from the time they were set free from Egypt till now. You see this thing, this reoccurring theme. And in fact, in Psalm chapter 106, verse 43, it says this. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. But he took note of their distress when he heard their cry and for their sake, he remembered his covenant and out of his great love, he relented. That's what God does. He's like, okay, um, you're sinning, you're rebelling, rebelling you're, you're failing me, but I love you and I will relent. I will forgive. I will be for you. Now, here's what we need to understand. And, you know, and, and we see this, and what's awesome is you see this um, even played out in the New Testament. In, in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. In James chapter 2, it says that mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, it, it's kind of like if you and I can understand, the judgment of God is still on hold for right now. We are in a window of opportunity. It's called grace. Judge the, the real judgment of God is going to come in the final judgment. But for right now, God is not bringing judgment upon people. He's trying to show them his love, his grace, and his mercy. Giving us opportunity to turn and to repent and, and, and to say, okay, I see my sin and come to him. That's what he does with Israel. Now, here's what we need to understand, though. Even though God is for Israel, even in their sin, in their failing, in their rebellion, he is for them. Understand this. He is not for their sin. That's, a, that's an important distinction. He is not for them sinning. God's not sitting there going, oh, it's okay, little buddy. Pat him on the butt and send him on. No, no, no. He doesn't condone their sin. All right. That's why even the book of Isaiah is really a prophetic book about the, the discipline that God will have to bring upon Israel because of their sin. All right. He's, he's, Isaiah actually prophesies that God is going to allow Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar to annihilate Jerusalem and take the Jews into captivity and go back to Babylon. And the whole purpose of that isn't to destroy Israel and to just like, it's not God saying, I'm done with you. No, it's God saying, because I love you, because I care for you so much, I can't see you keep walking in the sin. So I've got to do something to try to stir you and to wake you up and get you to see we're living in sin and come back to me. Do you understand that's God being for Israel? Even in when he punishes them, when he brings discipline upon them, it's for their good. God is a cheerleader for Israel just as he much is for you and I. He is cheerleading for Israel to say, I don't want you to live in sin. I don't want you to live in rebellion because it'll hurt you. It'll take you to a place where you don't want to go. And so God is like, I got to bring some discipline upon you to turn you back to me. He's for them. Even in their sin, he is for them. And do you understand God is for you? Even in your failure. When you sin, God is still for you. Now understand, he is not for your sin. He doesn't condone when you and I choose our selfishness. When we choose to, to sin, when we choose to say, I'm going to just walk away and do my own thing. He doesn't condone that. 
And sometimes God allows discipline in our lives for one sole purpose, to get us to see our sin, to get us to wake up, to get us to go, man, I don't want to be here. I don't want to live in this sin and to come back to the place where we're like, God, forgive me. You see, God is for you even when you fail in your sin, in your rebellion. God is for you. He does not walk away from you. Yours, when you sin, it's not the end of the story. God's not sitting there going, well, sorry, I'm done with you. you. You chose to do it. I'm walking away. No, 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 no. He doesn't walk away. He's not abandoning you. He's not writing you off. He's not quitting on you. He's your cheerleader. And if we, you and I are walking in sin, living in sin, he's going to cheerlead for you because he wants to... I truly believe God wants to see you and I succeed as a believer in Christ. I don't think God's like, oh, well, they're a mess. They're that, they're, there's that soup sandwich, so, but well, no. I believe he's sitting there going, go team, go. Man, I want to see you live like Christ. I want to see you grow like my son. I want to see you bear fruit for my glory. And so he is for us. And that's why he keeps trying to steer us away from our sin back to him and that's why i believe psalm 136 verse 1 and so many times in the book of psalms you'll read these words it says give thanks to the lord for his steadfast love endures forever that word steadfast means resolute and unwavering the word endure means the unceasing nature of god's commitment Okay, understand that. So when it says that God's steadfast love endures forever, it means that God's love is resolute. It's not moving. It's unwavering. Think about that. You and I, our love wavers, doesn't it? Someone someone ticks you off enough. Someone does something to you enough. Let me ask you, is your love just like steady? Like, ah, man, I love you, dude. It's like, no, your your love goes up and down, doesn't it? If If you're pleasing me, you're on my team. You took me off enough, I'm kicking you off my team. My love for you, it wavers. God's love is steadfast, resolute, unwavering, and it endures. It just goes to show the commitment God has for you and for me. It's not going anywhere. So even when you and I sin, and we blow it, and we fail God, and we fail. Anybody fail God miserably? He is for you. But guess what the enemy does? When you blow it, when you sin, the enemy is so quick to whisper in your ear, yeah, God doesn't love you. You've blown it with God. You've done that one too many times. Didn't you just do that sin like three days ago? Didn't you yell at your wife like last night and you're doing it again today? Didn't you cuss at work like like every day of the week last week? You know what? God's done with you. God cannot forgive you. He will not forgive you. He doesn't care. He doesn't love. And I'm telling you, the lie of the enemy, it is so loud in our ear. It is so loud in our mind. And how many believers believe that? How many believers are paralyzed spiritually because they cannot believe God accepts them? How many, maybe you're here today. How many of you have grown up thinking God is just always angry at you he's just always mad at you he's just got the enemy's just you know god's just waiting to bring the hammer down on you and the enemy tries to convince us that the love of god runs out and he's not for you anymore and so many of us believe that and we buy into that and we allow that recording, that, that, the, the lie of that recording, just to play over and over and over. 
You see, this is why I believe this message is so valuable and so important. Listen, in your sin, God is for you. He doesn't love your sin. But guess what he does love? He loves the sinner. He is not abandoning you. He is not forsaking you. He is not writing you off. He is not leaving you. His steadfast love endures every single day. And it is for you. And you have got to understand and you've got to believe this truth that in your sin, in your failing, guess what God is? For you. He's not against you. And you've got to believe that truth today that even in your failing, God is for you. Here's the second thing. God is for me because I am his. God is for me because I am his. So it goes, he says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Notice those two little words again. Fear not. Everybody say fear not. Fear not. Okay? See, here's the enemy. The, and again, I'm telling you, I want to expose as many lies and distortions and de deceptions that the enemy brings to us. The enemy wants you to live in fear. He wants you to live in the fear that God can't forgive you. He wants you to live in fear that God won't forgive you. He wants you to live in fear that God doesn't love you. He wants you to live in the fear that God doesn't care about you. He wants you to live in the fear that God won't take care of you. He wants you to live in fear about God. He wants you to live in fear that God is always angry at you, always miserable toward you. And he wants you to live in that fear of like, well, when, when's God going to really bring the punishment down on me? And he wants you to live in that fear. Because here's why. If I live in fear towards God, I'm not going to approach God. I'm not going to want to spend time with God. I'm not going to want to do his work and his, I will live apart from him and backed off. You see, the enemy loves to whisper, you got to fear him. You've got to fear him. But God shouts what? Fear not. God is shouting this to Israel. Fear not. Because I have redeemed you. I know you by name. You are mine. That word redeem, it means to purchase or to reclaim as one's own. Now, in the context of this scripture, Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel. God is, is speaking to Isaiah and he's communicating this to Israel. That's in the context. And when he says to Israel, I have redeemed you. It means that, that God has reclaimed them for his own. Because you got to go back to Israel. When he says, I redeemed you, he's referring to, back to Israel back when they were in Egypt. You see, when they were in Egypt as slaves, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he thought Israel was his. He's like, those are my slaves. So when God told Moses, hey, you go tell that man and say, let my people go. He was like, no, because in his mind, they're my people. They're my slaves. I'm not letting them go. So after 10 judgments that God brought upon Egypt, it was finally God was saying, I don't think so. Those are my people. And I am reclaiming them with my right arm stretched out and my power coming down. And I'm reclaiming them as my own. And when he brought Israel out of Egypt, he was redeeming them. And they became, once again, his people free to serve him and to belong to him. And now he's like, I redeemed you. I know you by name. You are my people, Israel. You are now mine once again. See, that's what he's telling Israel. But here's 
the parallel truth that you and I need to understand. Even though in the context, this is to Israel, there's a parallel truth for us in the New Testament. And the parallel truth is this. If you know Christ as Savior, guess what he has done for you? He has redeemed you. He purchased you from something. And here's how we know this. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 It says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law. Now, what does that mean? Well, the law is referring to the Old Testament law. And so the Old Testament law, God's standard was perfection. You have to live according to my law perfectly in order to be right with me. Well, the problem is nobody can. We can't. We, we, we screw it up somewhere. And so when you and I disobey the law of God, that makes you and I a sinner. And so because you and I are a sinner, guess what now we are? Cursed. There is a curse over us. And the curse is condemnation. It's a penalty. You see, there is a penalty for you being a sinner. There's a penalty for your sin. And that penalty is eternal separation from God in hell. That's the penalty. That's the curse. And here's the problem. That curse, that judgment, that condemnation, that penalty, it stands between you and God. And there's no way around it. You can't get around this curse. You can't get around this judgment. You can't get around this because you're a sinner. Okay? So here's what had to happen. Christ had to put a cross was staked in the ground between now you and God. And when Jesus died on the cross, he became that curse. He took the curse upon himself. He took your sin upon himself. So that way you and I, through faith in him, we cross through and we pass over the curse to God because of Christ. You have been redeemed. Christ purchased you from the curse of the law. He purchased you so that way you don't have to suffer the penalty of your sin. That's why the Bible says that you and I are saved. Saved by from what? The curse. The penalty. You and I are saved by faith. Through faith in Christ. So when you whether you're here or listening online, if you have placed your faith in Christ as Savior, you have been redeemed from the curse of the law, which is good news because Galatians chapter 4, verse 5 says this. It says, He, referring to Jesus, might redeem those who were under the law, under the curse of the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So here's what happens. When you come to the place where you acknowledge your sin, I'm a sinner, God, and there's no way around this thing, and and the curse is upon me, and you come to the place where you accept Christ as your Savior, you place your faith in Him and Him alone, not by your works, not by what you can do, nothing. You just surrender yourself to Christ and say, Jesus, be my Savior. That moment you are redeemed from the curse of the law, and guess what happens? At that moment you become a child of God. You see, the same scriptures right here in Isaiah 43 is the same thing that happens to you and I. So when you know Christ as Savior, guess what? Now, just like Isaiah is saying this to Israel, you can take these scriptures and apply them to yourself. I know Christ as Savior. I am redeemed. God knows me by name because I am his child, and that makes me his. If you will adopt that for yourself, think about this. Imagine if Jesus just showed up here right here and right now. Just like he did with the disciples and, and when, after the resurrection, he just showed up in the room. Poof. Imagine if Jesus did that right now. And he looked at all of you and he knows what's in your hearts. He knows what the enemy's doing to you. And he comes up and he's like, Christy, I have redeemed you. I know you by name. You are mine. He comes up to Butch and he says, Butch, fear not. I've redeemed you. 
I know you by name. You are mine. And he goes through the room to each person. Fear not. Because you know me. And because you know me as your Savior, I have redeemed you. I know you by name. You are mine. You see, that should cause something to well up in you. So when the enemy is trying to convince you, no, you're not. There's some confidence in you when you understand Isaiah 43. When you understand that God is shouting to you, fear not. Because you know my son Jesus as Savior, I've redeemed you. I know you by name. You are mine. And with that understanding, you have a confidence to be able to declare like Psalm chapter 56 verse 9. And the psalmist says this, this I know. God is for me. Doesn't even have, he doesn't even bat an eye at it. He doesn't hesitate at all. He's like, this I know. God's for me. Can you say that this morning? Without a shadow of a doubt in your mind? Can you just be able to declare, this I know. No hesitation, no doubt, no one. God is for me. The Apostle Paul even is able to declare it. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and also verse 37, Paul writes this. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Rhetorical question. Paul's going to give you the answer. Hey, what, who can be against you? How many people, uh, what, what's the answer to that? No one. No, no, no human and no spiritual. Nothing can be against you. Why? Because God is for you. And Paul goes on, he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure, do you see the confidence? I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, now he's talking about the spiritual stuff, angels, demons, nothing, I'm sure of this thing. Angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God's not walking away, man. He's not going anywhere. Paul's like, God is for me, and because I know that, I am sure of this. Nothing can separate me from him. And so here's what the enemy does. The enemy's like, no. You're not his. Because you're a sinner. You still blow it. You still mess up. You're such a loser. You're such a failure. How in the world can God love someone like you? He's going to walk away from you. He's abandoning you. He's walking out, man. He's like, he's like the, 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 the spouse that's like so fed up, they're leaving. And he's walking out the door. And he's trying to convince you of that. You see, that's where sometimes literally, I mean verbally, out loud, when the enemy is lying to you about this stuff, this is where you have got to, just like God says, but now, and he's turning the table, you have got to turn the table on the enemy. Because if you believe that the enemy is real and the fight is real, he's coming after you. And he's going to lie and he's going to distort. He's going to deceive. He's going to oppress. He's going to do everything he can. And so when he's lying to you about the love of God, the care of God, the forgiveness of God, and who you are in Christ... You've got to come back and go, you know what? I am not my own. I have been wholly bought by holy blood. And because of that, because I know Jesus Christ, and because Jesus is my Savior, I know, and I am sure of this, I have been redeemed. And I am not my own, and I know he knows me by name. And because he knows me by name, I am his child, and I am his. And there are times where you, and while you're praying, or you're in your car, you're walking down the street. Well, maybe not down the street. Some may think you're really weird. 
all right? But man, I'm telling you, there are times where you have verbally have got to say it. Because I'm telling you, the enemy's not backing down. And you have got to defeat a lie with what? Truth. And the truth is this. You're a failure. You're going to fail. You're going to sin. You're going to blow it. But God still loves you. And he is not walking out. And like Paul says, in all of these things, he's just like wrapping everything up in one big happy package. And he's like, in all of this, I know nothing will separate me. You, as a, if you know Christ as your Savior, you can confidently and boldly know beyond a shadow of any doubt that God is for you. And he is for you because he redeemed you. And he knows you by name. He is for you because you are his. Here's the next thing. God is for me even through difficult trials. He is for me even through difficult trials. Again, verse 2. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. There are two very important truths in that verse. Truth number one is this. You will have trouble in life. You will go through the storms. You will go through the fiery trials. Pain is in your life. It's coming. You will have tribulation, as Jesus said. You're going through the fiery trials, as Peter tells us. They're coming. Truth number one. But truth number two, God is with you in it all the time, with you. But here's where the enemy comes in. Remember, last week I said the enemy will use every tactic possible. And one of the tactics is this. He doesn't care what's happening in your life. He will take anything in your life and exploit it for his glory. So guess what he loves to do when you're going through the pain in life? When you're going through the trial, when you're going through the storm, when you're going through the thick of it. He's going to be whispering in your ear, if God really loved you, if God really cared about you, if God was really for you, can you fill in the blank? You wouldn't be in this. If God was really for you, you wouldn't be going through cancer. If God was really for you, you wouldn't have had that death in the family. If God was really for you, your spouse wouldn't have left you. If God was really for you, you wouldn't have lost your job. If God was really for you, dot, dot, dot. You see, that's how the enemy plays. He, and I'm telling you, how many of you know the enemy does not play fair? He's only trying to do one thing. If he can lie enough and distort the truth of God enough and deceive you enough about who God is, if he can lie about the character of God, if he can convince you God doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you, and he's not for you, guess what happens when you're going through the storm? You start losing it toward God. He wants to get you to the place where you become angry at God. You shake your fist at God. You blame God. He wants you to start. He begins by getting you to question, why, God? Where are you, God? Why did you allow this? And if he can get you to start thinking about that more and more and more, he will convince you God's not good. He will convince you God doesn't care. He will convince you God isn't for you. And if he can, he'll get you to walk away from God. He'll get you to abandon God. He'll get, he'll get you where you'll stop coming to worship. You'll stop hanging out with other believers. He'll get you to the point where you are all by yourself and you're stewing and you're just angry at God. And he has defeated you. 
You see, this is where you and I have got to be able to come back to the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word is this. God is God and we are not. That his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we've got to be able to come back to the place and say, God, if this is your will for my life, let me settle into it. It's the confidence that David had when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. David writes in Psalm 23, verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, David had the the, the confidence and, and, and the assurance of knowing that no matter what I'm going through, I'm in the darkest, deepest valley, and it's like death to me. God is with me. And when God is with me, I know he's for me. And he's leading me through this. He's going to guide me through this. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know where I'm, how, you know, if I'm coming out on the other side. I have no idea what's going to happen. But this I do know. i got to put my confidence and my trust completely in God and God alone. And let him be God in my life. The enemy does not want you thinking that way. He wants you defeated. He wants you abandoning God, walking away from God, not trusting God, not believing that God is good, not believing that God works all things for your good and for his glory. He doesn't want you believing that. He wants you to believe his lie and his distortions, his deceptions. He will oppress you so badly in this kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, he can shipwreck the life of a believer so easily in this area. Listen, you're going to go through the storm. But as Isaiah says, when you go through the river and through the water, man, it may seem like it's up here, but God's with you. You're not going to drown. You've got to just keep trusting him. When you're going through that fire, man, you're, you're in it, but it's not going to burn you, meaning it's not going to overwhelm you. It's not going to take you down because God is with you in the middle of it. And can you trust him when you're in the middle of it? You got to be able to come back and take, dispel the lie, insert the truth. You can't believe the lie, you've got to believe the truth. You can't trust the lie, you've got to trust the truth. And you've got to know, I'm going to go through it, but God is with me when I'm going through it. And then lastly, God is for me because he saved me. He is for me because he saved me. Verse 3, he says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He's referring again to when they were in Egypt. He's like, man, God saved you. And do you understand that God saved Israel not because of who they were, but because of who he was? He, he didn't, God didn't save Israel because of what they did, but because of just who he was and his love for them. you got to also remember, you know, we, we, we talk about how Israel, you know, was on this, this merry-go-round of disobedience coming back, disobedience coming back. you got to remember when we were going through the book of Exodus, I showed you, I said that when they were in Egypt, Israel was becoming and looking like the Egyptians. They were worshiping like the Egyptians. But yet God looks down and says, it's not about them. It's all about me. And he saved them. Do you understand that God saved you not because of who you are? God saved you not because of what you've done for them. God saved you not because you were too sexy for your shirt. God saved you only for one reason, for his glory. You see, this is how we know God is for us. God loved you before you ever loved him. God was thinking of you before you ever thought of him. God saved you while you were still dead in your sin. God sent Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner. You see, there was nothing about us 
There was nothing in us that God said, that deserves saving. Nothing. God says, because, you see, you and I are saved because of three words. Love, grace, and mercy. That's it. If it wasn't for the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God, you and I would still be cursed. And we would still be um, moving toward uh, the wrong place versus the right place. You see, the enemy wants to convince you, you got to work your way to, to, to please God. you got to earn your position with God. Even when you're saved, you, here's the thing. The enemy, once you come to know Christ, he won't try to convince you. Sometimes he does, and he does a good job of this, convincing you, you know you're not really saved. Because if you were really saved, you wouldn't be acting this way. But um, that, that's, a, I think, a small percentage. Here's what he does do. Well, yeah, you're saved, but you know, you still got to earn God's grace. Yeah, you're saved, but you need to work your way back to God today. You better, you better be kind to some more people. You better do some more goods. You better, you better make sure you're not missing church for at least eight weeks or so. You, you better do some, because you know God's really angry at you. God's really, he's just fed up with you. And we buy that. And so what do we do? We, we start reading our Bible a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to pray today. I, I, I'm going I'm to go to group. I, I'm, I'm going to make sure I worship well in church. And we buy into this. And then the enemy's like, there you go. You're, you're good now. Until when? You fail again. And then he's right back at it. Nope, nope. You're not. You better earn your. No. You are saved 100% completely because of God. And nothing because of you. You can't earn God's love, his grace or mercy. And guess what? You can't lose it. It is steadfast. It is solid. And it is going nowhere. But I'm telling you, the enemy has convinced some of you that you're not enough. He's trying to convince you you need to become enough. He's trying to convince you that God's walked away from you. He's trying to convince you God just doesn't love you. He's trying to convince you that you're not his. He's trying to convince you that he's abandoned you. And my question to you today is this. What lie are you believing? This last verse where it says, I am the Lord your God, O nation of Israel, your Savior. Take that verse and remove Israel. Put your name in there. I am the Lord your God, Marlene, your Savior. I am the Lord, your God, Ron, your Savior. And sometimes you've got to keep doing that because some of you are buying into the lies. You're buying into the deception. You're, you're, you're being oppressed and the enemy is waylaying you. What lie are you buying into today? What lie have you believed for decades and years? What lie does the enemy keep tripping you up over? What lie do you need to dispel with truth today? And I'm telling you, the truth is this. God is for you. And it is my prayer. The Bible tells us where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that truth sets people free. Jesus made that very clear. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The enemy has kept some of you in bondage for a long time, thinking God's not for you. And I pray today that once and for all, for now, until you go to heaven, that you can live in the freedom of knowing God is for you.
when you need to, you need to start saying, God is for me. That needs, I know it sounds kind of like, like a Middle Eastern thought, like it needs to become a mantra. It needs to be a God mantra. God is for me. God is for me. And, and, and this is not some kind of name it, claim it thing. It's not some kind of get rich thing. It's not the, it's not the stuff that's out there. You just need to know God is for me. When I'm blowing it, God is for me. He is for me. And I'm telling you, you have got to tell yourself that. So let's bow our heads. Let's have a moment of prayer. You know, I, I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what lies the enemy is convincing you with. I don't know when you're by yourself what you are dealing with. And maybe you can put on a good facade when you come to church and when you're around other Christians. But maybe when you're by yourself, the enemy is just feeding you. And he has beat you up and he has... He has just done so many things in your mind and the lies. And I want to believe. And as I pray, I would encourage you just to begin to pray. And even just with your Bible open, pray that, those scriptures and believe that you are his and he is for you. And I want to believe and I want to pray that today you could finally be set free from the bondage and the prison of these lies. And that you can walk in truth today. So, Father, I come before you and, Lord, you know every heart and every mind in here today. You know every battle that every person is going through. Every person watching online, Father. Lord, it's so easy to put on a, a, a front. <laughs> It's so easy to put on a fake facade and it's so easy to pretend that nothing is going on in my life, nothing bad. But yet, God, the enemy just de depletes everything in us. He's able to convince us in our minds that, God, you've abandoned us and walked away. He's able to convince us that we're not enough. And we got to keep earning your love. Lord, I pray that today... That truth will set people free today. I'm asking God that your, the power of your word through the power of the Holy Spirit will reveal to every person, you know, whether here or online, who they are in Christ. Let them know that, God, you love them and care for them and, and are for them. That in all these things, let them be able to declare, this I know, God is for me. And that they can be sure beyond any shadow of a doubt that nothing will separate them from the love of Christ. Father, I thank you that in Christ we have it all. That we are completely saved. That we don't have to fear because we have been redeemed by him. You know us by name. We are yours. Lord, I just pray for those going through the trials right now. The pain and the hurt of life and the enemy is just waylaying them. Help them to be able to come back to that place and say, God, you're God. I'm not. And I trust in you. Your ways, God, are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. So God, today we need to rest in you. And we need to know, Father, that you're always with us never forsaking us, never abandoning us, that you are for us. And we thank you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and close.